From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host and naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there. Whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers, I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 30 of Free and Inspired Radio. Wow, this has rolled around very quickly. Before we start, as always, a big hello to you. If you are new to the podcast and this is your first episode, thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoy this and it helps. This week's episode is a beginner's guide to probiotics. Now, when it comes to the questions in the clinic, probiotics and their uses are top of the list by far. Probiotics are one of the most frequent over-the-counter formulas patients are using or interested in using before even attending their first consultation with me. Now their popularity isn't just isolated to my patients either. One review estimates that yearly sales of probiotics will eclipse US $64 billion by next year. 64 billion US dollars by next year. That is quite the popularity. But if you find yourself engaging in probiotics for the first time for your own use, but don't know where to start, I hope you think this beginner's guide or is a valuable tool for you. In this episode, we're going to actually look at what makes a bacteria probiotic, some evidence of its benefit, and how to choose the best ones for you. In my opinion, I guess I'll throw in there a little bit as well, but uh, let's have a look at probiotics just from the beginning of time, really. So in Latin, the word probiotic means for life or life, which kind of first makes sense, but first coined in the 60s by Lilly and Stilwell. Now, the first recorded awareness of the presence of probiotics or life within food, particularly fermented foods, was over 10,000 years ago. Turn the clock to 1999 and the definition of probiotics is live microorganisms in foods such as yogurt and other dairy products. Now, as the sophistication of technology has evolved, so did our understanding of probiotics. And in 2001, an expert panel supported by the World Health Organization or the WHO came up with the definition of probiotics we use now which is live organisms that, when administered in adequate amounts, confer a health benefit on the host. So this definition began looking at probiotics as supplements rather than a bonus ingredient in food, which is particularly interesting and really does point to the direction probiotics are going to in the modern day. Look, this I believe this also caused actually a lot of confusion for people who desire to try probiotics to get in on some of those health benefits. 
The problem is that probiotics in fermented foods such as kefir or kombucha aren't the same or as diverse as the probiotics in the capsule that you buy over the counter or are prescribed by a practitioner. So you can imagine then the disappointment after reading an article about probiotics having a positive effect on whichever condition you're interested in and the kefir just not cutting it. Now, this disappointment is actually why I'm glad you're listening to this. Hopefully, by the end of this episode, I'll be able to help you to get a sense of how fermented foods and probiotics play a role for you. And I do believe they can coexist, but I think there's a context that you might want to take advantage of, and I'll get to that a bit later. First, let's look at probiotics and how they are named to make a little more sense of the evidence. So furthermore, knowing how the the strains are named can help you identify the specific ones that can help you check the labels of over-the-counter products. So it's a good thing to know about these names. In the beginning, most probiotics that could produce lactic acid were at the forefront of research and clinical therapy. And from this, lactic acid-producing bacteria, or lab as they're known, are seen as the most important for helping people. Now, commercial strains in your formulas are classified using the genus, species, subspecies, subspecies, and even nicknames. For example, a well-known probiotic called Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, a well-known strain or a well-used strain would be named by the following. So just remember, just to repeat, Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG. So the genus is Lactobacillus. The species is rhamnosus. There's no subspecies name in this one. The strain designation for research is GG. So there you go. So Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG. And the strain nickname is LGG. So when you start to see the designations and subspecies names in the formulas, you know you're kind of onto something. These are the most likely strains to have some research on them. And a good rule of thumb, though not 100%, but is to look at the names of the label of your probiotic to see if they have numbers coming after them or if there's a nickname like the LGG part that we mentioned just before for lactobacillus rhamnosus. Another example of this would be Bifidobacterium animalis lactis DN173010. Wow, sounds like I'm uh, in the military there, but it almost sounds like a rocket or a newly found star. If you type in the full name, though, it is actually easier to see some of the research into these things. And this is where sometimes people are interested in the information on what they're taking, but may not actually know how to look these things up. So this is where having these you know, d- designations actually re- make a lot of sense. So in the case of Bifidobacterium animalis lactis DN173010, you'll find a groundbreaking study published in 2002 that showed this strain speeds up the digestive transit time in women. So this strain-specific study went on to form the basis of using probiotics to help people living with constipation or irritable bowel syndrome with constipation as a feature, which is kind of cool. Now, this is where strain becomes very important and not all probiotics are made equally. And that's exactly what we're going to explore in the second part of the show. So we'll take a short break here on Free and Inspired Radio, the 30th episode where we're having a beginner's look at probiotics. We'll be back with more Free and Inspired Radio just after this. to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? 
There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Yes, yes. Welcome back to episode 30 of Free and Inspired Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us this week. We are looking about are looking at probiotics and where to start if you're new to them. So we've covered a few points about labeling in part one of the show and strains, for example. But let's start here by reviewing some of the science on probiotics. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that there are multiple episodes on how probiotics can help the immune system, mental health, digestive issues such as constipation. So please feel free to browse the program there as far as some of these different things. But some of the main clinical applications for probiotics are use around managing the side effects of antibiotics, improving symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome, and interestingly, improving total cholesterol which has quite some good evidence on it, actually. So there you have it. There's a, an indirect thing that you might not be expecting probiotics to help with. But one of the, pro- the characteristics of what makes a microorganism a probiotics may be the one of the main reasons why it helps. And just to visit this a little bit, just to give you a sense of how they may help, there are four main characteristics that a bacteria has to fulfill to be a probiotic. Now, I've tried to simplify it a little bit, but these four things are... A probiotic must be tolerant to the digestion, so they can't exert a health benefit if they get burnt up by the stomach acid, so that makes kind of sense. Probiotics must also have an antimicrobial action, so they must be able to exert an influence on the bacterial diversity in the gut or wherever they are. They must have an ability to interact with fats and proteins, and I've simplified that. Uh, just to make it easier to understand now the probiotics must also have a viable ability to form colonies now if a bacteria can colonize within the digestive tract or any other tract the benefits are more pronounced so that these are some of the more important things that make probiotics what they are now it's the ability to balance in some cases clear non-desirable microbes that give probiotics some exciting potential in many different conditions This function is down to the presence of something called dysbiosis. Now, if you're new to this term, dysbiosis is the loss or gain of bacteria that can either promote health or disease, respectively. Now, there are a few different definitions that I've used over the course of this show, and I always try and look up new ones because I feel like sometimes one will articulate things or the context a little better uh, or a little bit clearer, and I like this one loss or gain of bacteria that either promote health or disease which really just comes down to balance doesn't it really and once again if you're a regular listener of the show you'll know how much we use the term balance and how much it seems to pop up in all of these different subjects now causes of dysbiosis such as the western diet antibiotics and physical and psychological stress mean it's almost hard to avoid today now when dysbiosis occurs healthy bacteria get replaced by more non-desirable bacteria that start to increase inflammation in both the digestive system and the rest of the body. Now, you may also heard of the term leaky gut. It seems like everyone has leaky gut, and it's the new original sin. That's definitely another podcast. <laughs> but dys- dysbiosis is one of the things that actually drives the development of intestinal permeability or leaky gut. 
So one of the best ways I've exp- I've had dysbiosis explained to me is from a, I believe, still Tasmanian naturopath. I think he's still in Tasmania, uh, Jason Harrelick, who has explained it in this way where he compares the digestive tract tract to a car park where he says each space only has room for one car or in the case of our metaphor here one bacteria generally we want to have the most car spaces filled with beneficial bacteria or probiotics but what can happen over time is that as the space is open they can be filled with negative bacteria slowly changing the balance of the total amount of bacteria in the car park to a less desirable place so one of the cool things about probiotics and one of the reasons researchers think they are beneficial is their ability to suppress the harmful bacteria thus stopping them from taking over the spaces in the car park and I, i think that's very very eloquent because really the digestive tract is so long and so large as far as the surface area is concerned that it's not just one region or one floor of the car park that matters in relation to you know where the bacteria is it's the whole car park and if you've got more you know spaces in that car park filled with less you know less desirable bacteria so to speak not bad or good less desirable then over the broader term or the macro if you like it's going to not be as good for you now on that basis you can actually find that probiotics don't have very specific research on them because their effects are largely unresearched because we just don't have the technology yet to map the whole microbiome. So we don't know what's going on over all the floors of the car park and how all of those different bacteria are interacting with each other, interacting with your genes and the virome, you name it. So more research to come. And I think, I guess, summarizing this part of the, the bit about science and probiotics is that we, by improving the balance of your car park or the total amount of bacteria in your gut, uh, you can have a positive effect on what seems to be most conditions, which is kind of crazy. Let's switch up a little bit and ask what makes a good over-the-counter probiotic. So we've touched on the strain specifics and how to identify whether or not your product has the right evidence-based strain in it. So remember, just looking for numbers or designations. But there are a few other things. For example, do you know what quantities of the strains are in the formula that you're considering? So you may have seen the initials CFU. Next to the numbers, uh, CFU stand for Colony Forming Units and represents the number of viable cells available in that strain. So often they'll be in the billions, which more than anything just gives you a sense of the scale at which bacteria inhabit the body. And just to put this in context further, one gram of your stool will contain around 100 billion microbes. That is crazy, but I love fun facts and I'm sorry to get distracted. Let's get back to the labels and these colony forming units as I think it's an important due to what I think is a bit of a sneaky manufacturing trick. Now, most brands in 2022 will openly put the species and amounts on their labels, but these listings are done at the time of manufacture. Now, this is especially pertinent when trying to make the decision for a probiotic formula over the counter. The levels of colony forming units in shelf-stable probiotics will diminish over the time that they're on the shelf. So I'll give you an example of how more honest brands manufacturers you know how more excuse me let me say that again i'll give you an example of how a more honest brand manufactures itself stable formula to ride you with some more context there 
So one particular brand advertised a 20 billion CFU on their label of their shelf-stable formula. Now, what many people don't know is that at the time of manufacture, that same formula had doubled the amount, almost 40 billion CFU, to account for the degradation of the probiotics over time whilst they're sitting on the shelf. So the more honest brands actually account for the degradation in the amounts of bacteria whilst they're sitting on the shelf in order to make sure that the advertised amounts that's on the label remain for the shelf life. So that can be two years, you know, in some cases, gosh, who knows. But it's important that the probiotics have the right amount of coliniform units that are on the label at the time or at the end of their shelf life. And this is really important. Now, I would go out on a limb and generalize that Australian probiotics probiotic brands regulate and reinforce these practices more than most mainly because the therapeutic goods association require them to and in some cases if these probiotics are taken off the shelf by the tga and measured uh, to find that they are i think with if you're an expert in this please correct me but i think from memory when i was in australia was i think it was had to have 80 percent of the the advertised amount on the label in the capsule at any time of the shelf life that could change i'm not completely up with the new 2022 uh, regulations for the tga at the moment but as i said it just goes to show that there are regulatory um, bodies that will make sure that these probiotics are what they say they are and I would say if you're out of Australia, you just make sure you research the brand's practices because there are definitely some brands in the States that take this very seriously as well. And you don't have to worry too much about these problems if you're dealing with the right brands. I think the cheaper the, the, cheaper the supplement, I wouldn't bet too much that they're going to be what they say they are. But if you get a shelf-stable formula close to date, so closer to the expiry date, hopefully then you understand that the deficit between the label and what you might be getting could be actually very substantial. What if you can't be bothered to make all these inquiries for your shelf-stable probiotic? Well, I'm leading you somewhere. The solution is easy. Purchase a probiotic that has to be refrigerated. That way, the CFU that were there at the time of the manufacture remains for the life of the formula. That kind of seems like a good deal for me. I feel like this separates therapeutic probiotic formulas from practitioners or high-level brands that you take with the intent to have to benefit from and food-based products that have probiotics added. And this contrast is just my point of view, but I've heard from patients that have tried probiotics in fermented foods or food-based products and just hasn't worked. And in the most polite way possible, I ask which strains of probiotics in the fermented foods were you, were you hoping were would benefit you in this in your condition and unfortunately the answer is really specific and now that we have this research on strain specific um, therapies you know why why not use that now this question only illustrates why some people don't get the results they're looking from looking for using fermented foods now don't get me wrong probiotic supplements and uh, probiotics in fermented foods as i mentioned at the beginning of the show can exist once again this is just my point of view and it comes more from a clinical perspective, obviously, but I think strain-specific probiotics first, get the therapy, get feel better, and do it in a way that you can rely on from science, and then use the probiotics and fermented food for maintenance afterwards. Now, there are multiple other reasons why this is the case, 
but for me, the fermented foods, prebiotic and postbiotic content is significant, which means that having small amounts of fermented foods can actually feed and help to thrive the probiotics that are existing within your microbiome. So that's really, really good to do post-therapy because it's more of a maintenance. When is the best time to take probiotics? Now, I wanted to include this one before we finish up the episode, mainly because it's quite easy. There was a lot of conjecture around when to take them, but I feel like the jury's done on this. Take your probiotics with or after any of the main meals in your day, and this timing means your gastric acid will be slightly more dilute, and the probiotics will have a better chance of getting through the stomach to areas of the digestion where they can help. Kind of makes sense. And the other thing I'm just going to add to the podcast, which will be in the transcript, is try and find a probiotic formula with at least 8 to 12 different strains. Uh, It is possible over the counter to find these formulas that do have a higher level of diversity. And personally, I think you'll get you have a higher chance of getting a better result doing that. So higher forms of the different lactobacillus uh, species and higher forms of the different bifidobacterium species is always a good place to start. And the diversity is more important than the quantity. So just a little bonus round here for the podcast. And once again, that'll be in the transcript if you want to get that there. But probiotics can be beneficial. And I think we all know that, right? But as our understanding grows along with the technology to measure their effects within the body, I believe believe we will continue to find new ways to utilize them and to get a therapeutic benefit. And also, I think we need to maintain a level of humility. Originally, we've thought that quantity wasn't quality or quality over quantity, if you like, as far as the billions is concerned. But now... I've just seen a brand release, I think, 800 billion for COVID, which is nuts, right? So we're really starting to break new ground with our use of probiotics. There are labs around the world that are doing some really amazing things with probiotics as well. And hopefully all of us will be able to benefit from from that. But hopefully now, bring it back to our episode here, this beginner's guide brings you one step closer to getting started And once again, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them wherever you're listening and I'll be sure to try and help if I can. But before we finish this episode of Free and Inspired Radio, if you'd love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcast episodes and more, jump over to the website philipwatkins.health and join our community via the newsletter on the homepage there. Uh, your reviews on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, you name it, they're all incredibly important. And I'm always very grateful to (laughs) see people uh, saying hi on those comments or sending us emails. Uh, If you're listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe to see when each new podcast is uploaded. I'd like to send shouts to the listeners of the show who get this far as always. This show is about helping you find the freedom to feel inspired again, and I hope this gets you one step closer. Normally, at this point, I would be saying until next week, but I'm going to take a short holiday. I have a little daughter who needs to meet her extended family. So 
if you're craving free and inspired radio and I won't be I'm not around with my new episode weekly and there's episodes that you haven't caught please go through some of the past episodes and see whether or not there's anything you missed there and hopefully you can find some value but until July I will see you really shortly take care of yourself and those around you and once again thank you for listening to free and inspired radio Oh my gosh, you made it to the end. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.